This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We go to the movies for magic, to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim and we go somewhere we've never been before. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like that. Well, at least that's what Nicole Kidman says in that preview that runs before your film starts. But she's got a point, don't you think? We all love the movies, and 2023 was a hell of a year for them. So we're looking back at the best movies and some of the worst that we watched this year. In our panel today, if you can't already hear him giggling, is Brandon Pope, anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. Hey, Brandon. Hey, you should have done an Australian accent with (laughs) That would have been terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Mitchie Troda is a Hugo Award winning editor and culture critic. Welcome back, Mitchie. Thank you so much for having me again. And rounding out our panel is Cody Derrick, seasonal manager at the Music Box Theater, as well as film critic for the website Next Best Picture. Welcome to Reset, Cody. Thank you for having me. All right. So ballpark figures here, folks. How many movies do you think you saw this year? (laughs) Oh, gosh. This is like an absurdly sad number for me, given how much I love movies. I think I saw I managed to see around 15. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's (laughs) it's sad. I mean, what's the number? What is what is the number? I would put the number somewhere at 35 to 38. Yeah. See, that's where I normally would be. You stay at a preview. You are always at a movie preview for sure. And I'm always (laughs) jealous. (laughs) Those Instagram stories are just. You can come with some time. Bumping. I mean, you've never invited me. You Wow. You've never invited me. Not you lying publicly. (laughs) (laughs) On national radio. Wow. (laughs) Cody, how many movies have you seen? I was going to say, I either win or lose depending on how this number makes me seem. I just hit 100 for the year. Oh, wow. Of just new releases. Wait, are you... So you watch everything. I do watch everything. (laughs) You're not just talking about going to the theater, right? You're talking about things that you've Those are all just releases from 2023. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Which, I don't know how many days in the year have passed. It's probably more than 100. So you've been to the movies 100 times? <laughs> I've seen 100 movies in some capacity. Oh wow. My. I went back and I was searching my uh, email inbox to see how many you know AMC orders or Regal orders I've made in the, the last year. I think I've been to eight movies this year. Hmm. Um, and I've watched maybe another 10. So, oh. Mitchie, not far off. I mean, my little overachieving heart is just dying <laughs> over here. So. I mean, this... Well, what's your vibe? Are you a silver screen purist where you have to go and see it on the big screen at the theater with the popcorn or do you mostly stream at home? You know, I used to be a big like must see everything in the theater. Now it is, um, you know, in part in response to the pandemic, but also just sort of realizing that. I don't need to see every single big thing on the screen. There is a particular vibe that I want. And also, money is tight. So uh, if I'm going to spend the money to go, I want to go and know that it is going to be worth it or something that I really, really want to support. And there's some where, you know, like I'm sure I think this is on all of our lists of one of the worst films. You just you would rather just sit at home. Where you can hit pause, you can turn to your your companion and be like, why are we watching this? Yeah. And we'll get into some of those a little bit later. So we already know you're a silver screen purist. In a sense. Brandon Pope. I, I, there's so many distractions, you know, when you're watching a movie. So at a theater, you're encouraged to just put the phone away and just block in. Whereas if I'm at home, 
you know, phone pops up, FaceTime, whatever, rewind because I Pause missed it, something. get up, go get something. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it, it, it makes it tougher for me to consume a movie and really judge it fairly if I am not just fully locked in. Because we wait for your Twitter reviews. <laughs> I've heard. I've we heard. wait. Uh, Cody, what about you? Ideally, I see a film in theaters, but oftentimes that's not possible depending on release or how the screener is sent. But if possible, I would prefer on the big screen for mm-hmm. basically any type of movie. For sure. It's it's the experience. Exactly. It's all about the experience. All right, let's get into some of your favorite films. You've each shared a few titles with us. So I'm going to start with you, Mitchie, and the blockbuster of the year, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Uh. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Mm. <laughs> Do I have to ask why that made your list? Uh you know what? Barbie is one of those films where it really, it's one of the two films this year that I saw where I was not expecting it to work. And it really, really worked. Why not? Why weren't you expecting it to work? Well, I mean, okay, Child of the 80s. And as much as I was really looking forward to and enjoyed much of the wave of taking these things that we loved in childhood and adapting them adapting them to the big screen, it doesn't always work. And it does it particularly doesn't work if you have somebody at the helm who doesn't really get the material, who isn't serious about doing it right mm. and doing it in a way that actually reflects what the meaning of this pop culture icon is. So Barbie for you was a pleasant surprise. It was a very pleasant surprise. Like I will, you know, I'm going to lay it all out on the table, say I don't think it was a groundbreaking feminist film. I think it was very basic feminism. But I had a friend point out to me, and I think she was actually really right about this, is that for me, it might be basic for people who have been into these concepts and have been talking about them for a very long time. That's one thing. But what this film has done has made feminism accessible in a way Mm -hmm. that you don't have to be someone who is in any kind of movement or advocacy. Like I've had friends telling me that they've been able to talk to like their grandmothers yeah. about it because Barbie is a generation spanning thing. That's right. Yeah. I was and able now, to talk to my kids about it. Yeah. My teenagers about you, it. But. You can talk to it in a bunch of different ways. And also it was just funny. It did not take itself seriously. And refreshingly, it was humor, not from a white cis male point of view. There were things in there that everybody will find funny. But if you've had a particular experience of being, this is, again, a very cis woman-centric film. um, But if you've had the experience of being identified as a woman in this culture, there were little in-jokes in there. And then if you collected the Barbies, which I didn't do, but even I could pick up on a couple of things, there were all sorts of Easter eggs sprinkled around. It was like watching a comic book movie with a bunch of stereotypical male nerds (laughs) who are like, oh, I know what all this stuff is. And they expect the women around them not to get it. And we're like, dudes, we've been reading comic books. We just didn't read them around you. It was super cute. I loved all the little nods to, you know, longtime Barbie maniacs (laughs) like myself. Did you see it? Yeah. Brandon? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, and for me, it's a little different because, like, I'm not a woman. Um, Breaking news. And <laughs> yeah, shocker. And I didn't know what to expect. I was I'm not a Barbie fan. Shocking, right? 
Uh, but the <laughs> film was really, as you said, accessible. Um, had some great messaging, was fun, just really funny. And those first opening 10 minutes oh, like had oh me God. dying. It's so funny. Yeah. The way that they were poking fun at some of the um, auteur uh, <laughs> films that, you know, f- wannabe filmmaker guys will always talk about forever. <laughs> right. That first 10 minutes with the monolith had me dying. So funny. They had some good messages, though, for men, too. Like, yeah. I, I know the focus was, you know, the message for women, but, like, the Ken angle that was going on and, you know, just a Ken and yeah. the idea of toxic <laughs> you're mas- Ken enough. You're, you're, Ken, you're enough. Ken enough, yeah. And, but, like, the idea of toxic masculinity and how men are built <laughs> mm-hmm. up to not have emotions and this and that and hold things in. Doesn't seem to matter what I do I'm always number two no one knows how hard I tried. Oh, oh, I, I have feelings that I can't explain. They're driving me insane. All my life been so polite, but I'll sleep alone tonight. Cause I'm just K. Anywhere else I'd be T. Is it my destiny to live and die a life of blonde fragility? I'm just kidding. Like, they unpacked so many things in that movie that I wasn't ready for. So I'm just sitting there in the theater like, whoa. Yeah. Well, you know, after we saw the success of that movie, Mattel said it plans uh, to make film adaptations for other products in its toy box, like a movie about Polly Pocket, um, directed by Lena Dunham. Uh, actor Randall Park said that Hollywood is taking away the wrong lessons with Barbie, that uh, what people want isn't movies about toys, but movies by and about women. So, uh, Cody, I mean, what do you think it'll take uh, to get that message across? Right. I was going to say it's about as... Um Optimistic and progressive as a movie that opens with a Mattel logo probably could be. (laughs) So in that sense, it is a huge accomplishment. But I do fear that they're just going to, like you said, take the idea that people want to see toys on screen. And it's not necessarily that. It's people want to see well-told stories on screen no matter what the origin of that story is. Well, while I have you talking, Cody, we got to... Talk Oppenheimer, if we're going to talk about Barbie. Absolutely. Oppenheimer made your favorite list of 2023. I mean, the diametric opposite mm-hmm. of Barbie. But I mean, what is it about that film that really impressed you? Yeah, I, the funny thing is that those movies will be forever linked, which I'm sure when either of those directors were making Barbie or Oppenheimer was not the expectation. Yeah. <laughs> but Barbenheimer will live on long past those films have been out of theaters. Oppenheimer for me was just a slam dunk in almost every way. It was the kind of film that I wish Hollywood made more of, which it was a thinking film disguised as a blockbuster, which isn't to say it's not entertaining because clearly lots of people went out to the the theater to see it explicitly in a theater, but it's a three hour long talking movie, mostly just men sitting in rooms having conversations. (laughs) And yet I could not look away from the screen. And I could not bring myself to go see it. That's fair. (laughs) I saw it twice, so I got you covered. (laughs) You saw it twice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you too, Mitchie. I, you know, I, I uh, respect Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. You know, I've, I've enjoyed his stuff, but for me, um, if it was a choice, it was a choice to see Barbie or Oppenheimer in the movie theater. Um, I was just crunched for time, and I chose to see Barbie because Oppenheimer is—it's not a story that I'm unfamiliar with, but 
And I'm sure that it was given a really, really spectacular treatment. Mm -hmm. But I am not interested in seeing stories about the lone male white genius who is forced to think of, you know, forced to reckon with the consequences Mm -hmm. of this world shattering discovery or innovation that he's made. I really would have rather I wanted to see that story told from the viewpoint of the people who were impacted by the Manhattan Project. I wanted to see it from the viewpoint of Navajo Nation, whose lands and people were utterly wrecked by uranium mining. Uh, I wanted to see it from the point of view of the people of the Marshall Islands, whose Mm -hmm. homes were pretty much destroyed as a result of nuclear testing. The downwinders... Um, yeah, lots of, of critique people. about yeah. the film not centering the victims uh, enough of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, bombings. Was that a blind spot of the filmmakers, you think, Brandon? I mean, what was the takeaway for you? Yeah, I think I think it was a blind spot for sure, but it wasn't a glaring one in watching the film. Because mm. I think the, the film's overall focus and scope for me was kind of like a horror film about the dangers of man's hubris and and the dangers of men traditionally wielding all this power and the damage it, in, it inflicts upon not just people outwardly, but also people within their own lives. Um, so in that sense, I, like, I'm a big Christopher Nolan stan. I think this man's one of the greatest directors we've had. And this is probably his best film, if not one of the top three best films he's ever made. It's just, it's a thunderous film. The, so you're with Cody on this I, abs- I mean, the cinematography, the acting, oh my gosh, like Killian Murphy, mm. like, he he killed it. RDJ, what he his performance. Like I was blown away. It was so long, yet you're sucked in the entire time because of the the acting performances, the script, the visuals, and it's a story we know already, but the way it's told, it's really a warning to America like, hey, this happened once. Here's a warning about what could happen if we keep entrusting all this power to people that they really shouldn't have that power. So I found that pretty moving. I think that was Nolan's overall message, but I agree. There should have been space there to address those who are impacted more by this. They do it a little bit in the film, but it's not nearly enough mm. that it really deserves. And that I think that's a good, good criticism. The other one I'd give of, of Nolan in general, his films overall, not very accessible. And so Barbie, we talked about, super accessible to a lot of people. This one, I have a lot of friends, they, they walked away from it thinking, I didn't get any of that. <laughs> mm, no, that's not you good. Got, you got to do some homework. You got to get a little bit about what communism is, you know, yeah. and, and understand what those words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they throw a lot of words and terminology yes, at do. you early in this film. And if you're not really, you know, up to speed on the Cold War, right. you, you might get lost. Let's get to one of your favorites then, Brandon. This is uh, John Wick 4 starring Keanu Reeves. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you want to kill him? You want to kill him? I want to kill him? <laughs> what about you, Mr. Vick? I'm going to kill you. Oh, for better, of course, yeah. <laughs> but it looks like we have ourselves uh, a genuine conundrum. <laughs> a quandary, if you will. A real-life dilemma. <laughs> so... I thought we play a game. One hand. Zivina decides who lives and who does not. 
<laughs> oh, this is a total just dude thing. I just John Wick <laughs> four. We got to give credit to Keanu Reeves and what he's been able to do, and just how he's been able to reinvent his career over and over and over. And the John Wick films have gone from a simple premise: a man losing his dog and wanting revenge for it, to building out this expansive captivating world and what John Wick 4 did is sort of a finale to the John Wick franchise some would say we'll see what happens next um, is it does a great neo-noir vibe going on while also just adrenaline pumping thunderous action non-stop you can't even catch a breath wow and that's what you want that's a lot a, of action it's a, that's what you want in an action film and that's what you want in a theater experience and so when I walked away from John Wick 4 I'm like this is what you pay money for this is what gets people in seats. And I walked away thinking, I got to watch that again. What was the best part of your interview with Keanu Reeves himself? The the coolest part about talking with Keanu Reeves about this film was how humble he was, but also just how how much this character means to him. Um, the John Wick character itself is a, is a character that doesn't have a lot of words, doesn't speak a lot, um, which is sort of a gag. But that's also Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is not a very public-facing person and not a guy that's that true. likes to talk very publicly a lot. That's kind of true, yeah. Part of that's because of their own internal trauma and things they've gone on, uh, have gone in their life, um, very similar to his John Wick character. So being able to talk to him about those parallels. those parallels there, you really get to understand the portrayal he puts forward. It's deeper than just an action movie, shoot him up. There's a lot of depth there to him. Mm. Cody, another movie that made your best list uh, this was from Wes Anderson, Asteroid City. Yes, Wes Anderson, who is yeah. one of the more distinct voices in cinema today in terms of style, I'd say. Yeah. There are entire Instagram and TikTok pages devoted to aping his aesthetic. And this film... <laughs> you know when it's a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> more than almost any other director today. Oh, my gosh. Uh, one review said, quote, in Asteroid City... Uh, Anderson made a film that is really about Anderson being so good at what he does. He's just toying with us now. <laughs> you think that's true? <laughs> so I don't think he's above criticism. I know a lot of people do just don't vibe with his style, and I totally get it. It is distinct and therefore not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't loved all his films, especially some of his earlier output. But this movie, to me, really just surmises uh, his style in terms of how... Fiction has the power to affect us. Hmm. The film really deconstructs the idea of what it means when fictional characters are communicating with each other and still able to move us as audiences. It's a, it's a really meta film that has layers of reality built into it. It's about a playwright writing a play, and we see the play as if it is the movie, which sounds heady, but it does make sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> sounds like Wes Anderson. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Michi, another movie that resonated with you was the film Polite Society. Oh, absolutely. What, what was this about? So this was about, it's basically a, a sister's film. You have a teenage girl and her older sister who has dropped out of art school and has come back home. They are a South Asian family living in London. And... When the older sister decides that she's just going to let her parents arrange a marriage for her, the younger sisters, is a beautifully rendered portrait of feral teenageness. <laughs> that is just she's like, no, no, this can't, you know, I can't, I can't let my sister do this. She's making the wrong decision, and it goes into some very speculative fiction um, places. 
but it does so in a way that the speculative part, the martial arts part, is a bonus to what is a really lovely story about family and about growing up and about realizing when you have kind of put the formation of your own identity on somebody else. Mm. Wow. So why should folks watch it? I think they should watch it because the martial arts in this film are absolutely gorgeous. You have, there is an entire Bollywood fight scene. Oh, wow. uh, And it's with, everybody's wearing, you know, the really colorful, beautiful saris and uh, formal wear. So while there's fighting, there's so much movement. It feels a lot like a classic Hong Kong martial arts film where it's we not need just more the Bollywood fight scenes. It's, it's color Who and can I movement. Call? <laughs> <laughs> this and uh, just the acting in it is so good. I forgot the name of the actress, but she plays the villain in Polite Society. She is also the villain in the Miss Marvel series. Oh. And she is, I just need to see a film she where she goes up against Shahore uh, Agdushlu. I want the two of them to be the opposing forces in a fantasy, sci-fi, I don't care, some kind of like succession type film where they are going up against each other. Namra Busha? Yes. That's the name of the uh, the actress. I think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's just oozing villainy in a way that is just absolutely delightful. Wow. That's You're awesome. selling me. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, the uh, martial arts, speculative fiction, There's they do a twist on body horror and autonomy for, uh, bodily autonomy for uh, people who have a uterus. That was something, I was not expecting that to come out, but it, it's actually a major reveal plot point mm. uh, further dun, dun, dun. on. I'm like, ooh, these are things, again, that you are getting from a perspective that does not get a lot of play in Hollywood. Mm. And the writer for the, uh, the, I believe the writer for director for the film was also the creator for Lady Parts, the TV series. Mm. Before the break, we got into the Barbie Oppenheimer double feature, of course. But uh, why don't we jump right back in, folks? Shall we? Let's do it. All right, Mitchie, let's talk about the movies that you loved but maybe didn't resonate with a mass audience right there were two that were on your list that fit this exact category i'm going to start with the most recent one which is uh the marvels this is the the latest from oh you're getting a gasp from brandon save your thoughts brandon she, <laughs> oh, i want to know let me, fin- I really let me know. finish the question buddy uh this is the latest from disney's marvel universe it uh, it features the characters captain marvel monica rambo and miss marvel or Kamala Khan. So what did you love about it? It was fun. I haven't had this much fun at a Marvel movie in Lord knows how long. I mean, you know, it just, it was the movie made for comic book fans, particularly I think this newer generation, the Gen Z millennials fandom, what happens when you actually meet your idols. Um, Kamala Khan was just the absolute shining star in the heart Mm. of the film. She was adorable. I totally bought every second of it. I need a seven-minute short, like, you know, they do these with the Marvels, with different Marvel characters, of her family having Nick Fury over for dinner. (laughs) I need this 100%. (laughs) So, but but the the Marvels, it didn't see the success of other big blockbusters in the franchise. And I know you gasped 
earlier, Brandon, but I mean, did you notice that too? Like it didn't reach like Black Panther or Avengers level of success, but I mean, did that matter? Is there maybe Marvel fatigue? You're about to get me started. I love <laughs> the Marvels. I love it so much. And I think it was the victim of a just weird tsunami of so many things. One, the obvious thing, uh, misogyny. <laughs> I mean, the, the, there are pe- there. I mean, people hate to say it, but there are people that see a women-led superhero film with two of those women being women of color, and they get in their whole oh MCU type of thing. Oh, I get, think I'm remembering oh, your tweet about this I right now. Yeah. Go off, Brandon. Oh. Go off. Please. It frustrates me to no end because yeah. they don't even give the film a chance. Yeah. And so that's one reason. Second reason, we had a historic actors and writers strike. The 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 mm-hmm. big shining thing about this film is the cast. The trio yeah. and their chemistry, especially Amon Vellani. You want her on a press tour. <laughs> you, you want the, the girl that plays Kamala Khan. You want her to be able to show that personality. She couldn't do it. So that hurt as well. And then I just think Disney Plus, uh, I think families have gotten used to Disney releases. They're going to be able to watch them on Disney Plus in 60 days, maybe 45 days, yeah. maybe 90. But like for a lot of families with the economy the way it is, mm-hmm. they're thinking about you got to take a bunch of kids to a movie theater. Well, we could just that's watch a lot them. of money. We're already paying monthly for Disney Plus. I mean, that's what my family's doing. I, I had par- people in my family. They didn't go see the Marvels because they know that in 90 days they can just sit back and watch it at home. Mm. So that's really what I think a big part of it is streaming windows. Yeah. Misogyny, a historic actors and writers and strike. strike. And I yeah. think it's unfair because. Nia DaCosta did a great job with this film. And I feel like Disney is doing a terrible job. They're really scapegoating her right now and putting her as... She had the highest opening film for a black woman director ever. And Mm. they're just scapegoating her and putting out a new, salacious, unsubstantiated, like thing every other day about her is just not right. Wow. She does not deserve that. Cody, what do you think? Did you see the Marvels? You got me fired up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on this 100%. Unfortunately, I did not see the Marvels. <laughs> I am, the MCU is not my thing in general. We were on a roll, I know, Cody. I'm sorry to be the combo breaker. Jeez. Oh, the MCU is not my thing in general, but I did love Nia Casa's Candyman so much. Um, mm, I just yeah. had enough people I trust who said the Marvels wasn't really worth my time and not being into the MCU in general, I did not check it out. But hearing both your words on the movie, I'm definitely going to check it out. Thank you for that. You need to at this point. They Uh, didn't have a Bollywood fight number, but they had a this is as close as you could get to a Bollywood number in a Marvel film. Mm -hmm. The unexpected musical moment. And the fact that they had a rationalization for this, like, no, singing's their language, and we have to speak their language. Mm. I'm like, I am here for so this. So good. Also, <laughs> the cats. So here. I love this. The, the cats were also great. I, I really. All right, well, that. Cody, we'll we'll get to uh, one of your favorites <laughs> in a second. But up. before we do that, Cody, <laughs> I'm gonna stick with with the Marvel comic realm for another moment. Brandon and Mitchie, one movie fell on both of your lists for the the best things that you saw this year and that's the animated film spider-man across the spider-verse i love this too i really Mm. did Mm. Uh, my daughters absolutely adored this one i mean you just watched it though you, you were, were kind of late. Literally this, this morning. morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's already on your faves? That's that's great. Yeah. Uh, artistically. So I mean, it like, lived up to the hype? Yes. It lived up to the hype and I think it is something that's providing a very fresh perspective on, I think the Marvel fatigue thing is real. Mm. Um, because yeah, Marvel is getting very formulaic. I mean, they've been formulaic from the beginning and it's in a way where it's like, oh my God, we have another film. We're about 
another white guy who is kind of a playboy and has to learn responsibility, <laughs> yada, yada, CGI yada. CGI fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, has yeah. to learn responsibility. This is beautiful. It is a piece of art, a visual art. It is the closest that I have seen to translating the comic book format and feel onto the big screen into a movie. It's brilliant. Yeah. It really is. The colors. The, mm-hmm. There are so many frames you can just freeze frame and hang on your wall. It's just such yeah, a... Nothing else looks like it. Yeah. Exactly. It was absolutely gorgeous A to visual watch. treat. But also, you mentioned your daughters love it. You mm-hmm. love it, too. Yeah. It's, it's a cross-generational appeal type of and film. And they kind of had to twist my arm a little bit yeah. before we went. And then afterwards, we couldn't stop talking about it on the drive home, just bringing up different parts. Okay. Miles' grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And AP Studio Art. <laughs> he takes after his uncle. A minus in English. She's a tough grader. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying to tell your mother? mother. Okay. Calmate, mommy. Eso no es my fault. ¿Qué, qué es eso que esto no es mi fault? ¿Tú estás tomando una clase en Spanish? Mom, I just missed a few classes. Oh, just a few classes. Well, what's a few? I mean, you know, like five. Five? five. Actually six. You're dead. So many of us can relate to what Miles Morales in this film goes through. That sense of who am I in this world? The sense of not having belonging, but also a sense of people in your life trying to dictate what your life should be, mm-hmm. whether it's parents or family or whatever, or in this case, a multiverse that says only a Spider-Man should be this way. Also, in a time where we have all these multiverse stories, this is how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you make right. it character driven. Well, okay. <clears throat> uh, Cody. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> did, did you did you watch it? Hot seat. Just sitting here nicely. <laughs> I did watch it, and I really liked yes. it. I really did like Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. All right, we have so a round table. Yeah. yeah. I really liked it. I my main takeaway from it is that, to your point, I think it has genuinely the greatest animated effects in film history. Yeah. It's one of the mm-hmm. most impressive looking animated films I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I do think some of the in jokes and references around the second act or so of the movie personally wore me down again as somebody who's not into the comic book MCU world I know this is not technically an MCU movie but you know yeah that wore down on me a little bit and it didn't quite charm me yeah that's valid it is a visual feast it looks incredible Okay, so for Cody's benefit, we're going to turn from superhero movies now. Uh, Maybe uh, get a recommendation for a good drama. I hear you recommended the movie Past Lives. Yes. It's about uh, Celine Sion. Yeah, it's about two childhood friends in Korea who uh, they're torn apart, then they reunite as adults in New York. Uh, Give us the pitch. I mean, why'd you love it? Oh, it's just absolutely heart wrenching. And I say that not in a way that's going to make you cry in despair. It is uplifting at the same time you know I, I had i was lucky enough to get to see this at sundance at its premiere and even in a room of mean cold critics in january at 10 a.m <laughs> people were there was sniffles at the end i swear to god it was it really is just a triumphant first feature which is even more incredible mm. this is this yeah. director's first film is it a good date night option or nah i think so as long as you're willing to have some pretty heady discussions afterwards about the nature of love and misconnections. Mm. Mm. He was just this kid in my head for such a long time. And then he was just this image on my laptop. And now he is a physical person. It's really intense, but I don't think that that's attraction. I think I just missed him a lot. I think I miss soul. 
Did he miss you? I think he missed the 12-year-old crybaby he knew a long time ago. You were a crybaby? Yeah. Most of the time, he'd have to just stand there and watch me. Okay, so if we talk about the good, we got to talk about the bad. Ooh. Right, dun, gang? Dun, dun. So the films that uh, just were either overhyped or maybe they just fell totally flat. Now, Mitchie and Cody, one movie that had the misfortune of landing on both of your worst films of 2023 list, uh, Ghosted, an oh, action yeah. <laughs> comedy that stars Anna de Armas and Chris Evans. From the good people at Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> Which has a good record, usually. They won Best Picture a few years ago, yeah. so what can I say? I mean, did you I, see this, too? Is it on your worst yeah, list? Yeah, it, it could have made the worst. So it, you, maybe it you all yeah. hated this movie. Okay, let's go down the down the line. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchie, let's start with you. You know, I wish I could say I can I can give them credit for trying to do a, a bit of a gender flip on the whole spy and innocent crush who gets caught up in everything, but it was way over the top without any kind of grounding or characterization. I mean, Chris Evans and Anna de Armas were really working with what they with what they had, which was very, very, very little. <laughs> um, Adrian Brody was apparently just told to eat every piece of scenery uh, he could get his hands on, which he uh, definitely did. I can't even really remember the plot other than... <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, no, it's the one, like, Chris Evans, what, runs into Anna de Armas' character. They have a one-night stand. He does the thing where he starts texting her all the time, and she, quote-unquote, ghosts him. I'm using the air <laughs> quotes. And it turns out she's a spy. Oh. So he goes, he does the thing where it's like, oh, you know, the girl usually goes and does the, I'm going to go track him down and show up and be like, hey, like, uh, you know... When you are flipping genders, there are dynamics you have to be aware of. This is a little stalkery. I mean, oh it's always been kind of stalkery, but now it's really stalkery, and he gets caught up in things, and somehow by the end of it, manages to hold his own against another super spy, and is at least able to not get himself killed. Yeah. I just... Okay, Ugh. yeah, you've convinced me. I'm not seeing it. Please um, don't. Okay, listen. Not sober anyway. Listen, it's been a high and low year for movies, but I, I want to look ahead before I let you folks go. Looking ahead to 2024, what film would you say you're just itching to watch in the new year? Brendan? Oof. Come back to me. All right, Cody? Well, it seems obvious, but I really can't wait for Dune Part 2, which was uh, supposed to come out this year. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mitchie? Uh I am actually looking forward to the second, uh, to the uh, Beyond the Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. A good uh, one. I, okay, mine is Deadpool 3. Yes! Think, oh, that's mine, too. That I'm, could be good. I'm stealing that. Yeah. That's mine. You can take it. It's mine first. We'll share it. How about that? <laughs> Uh, well, that is Brandon Pope, host and anchor with CW26, Mitchie Troda, an award-winning editor and narrative expert, and Cody Derricks, a seasonal manager at the Music Box Theater, as well as film critic for the website Next Best Picture. Thank you all so much for adding new titles and some titles I'll stay away from mm -hmm. <laughs> for my watch list. <laughs> Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. so much.